The Shoebox Stories and DocuAmerica Series podcast was made possible with the support from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. From Modus Theater, welcome to the Shoebox Stories podcast, where we invite you to stand in someone else's shoes. I'm Modus's artistic director, Kirsten Wilson. If you could just for a moment take a walk in my shoes. For our first podcast series on DocuAmerica, Modus asks a prominent American to stand in the shoes of an undocumented person by reading aloud their story, saying their words and holding, for a moment, the weight that they carry. By reading the story handed to them in the studio, the reader is not saying they agree with everything written. They are simply agreeing to suspend judgment and feel the impact as they word by word experience the world through another's eyes. Maybe then you'll come to see all the struggles, all the dreams, all the hopes that we Our guest reader is award-winning actor, author, musician, and singer John Lithgow, best known for his television roles as Dick Solomon in the comedy Third Rock from the Sun, Arthur Mitchell in the drama Dexter, and Winston Churchill in The Crown, for each of which he won Primetime Emmy Awards. We're in a moment of crisis, a crisis of empathy in this country. And it seems to me that The whole thrust of this project is to address that crisis. He will be reading the story of Irving Reza, a political science major with DACA who uses humor to negotiate the fear he must face every time he passes through an immigration checkpoint, and how this experience deepens his reverence for the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. After the reading and reflection, we have a musical response in honor of Irving Reza's story from the Grammy Award-winning rock and roll legend Neil Young. And now, John Lithgow reading Irving Reza's story, The Most Beautiful Monument. On an annual basis, I go to El Paso, Texas, to see my grandmother. My problem is not that I must go to El Paso. It's when I return home to Colorado, I have to pass through an immigration checkpoint. The U.S. has CBP checkpoints, usually within 100 miles from the border. CBP stands for Customs and Border Protection. Everyone calls them the Border Patrol, but the agents don't like that. They're really sensitive people. The name Border Patrol hurts their feelings. Sometimes when you're stopped, they want to search your vehicle. It all depends on the agent and the time of day. If you have too much luggage, that might be suspicious, as you could be trying to smuggle something. If you are carrying a reasonable amount of stuff, that might be suspicious, since you could be trying to pass off as a normal traveler. If you're traveling without luggage, that too might be suspicious, since you could be traveling in a hurry. Don't make me talk about passengers. That might be suspicious. One night, when I was heading to Denver after passing through Las Cruces, I stopped at the checkpoint and gave them my EAD, my DACA Employment Authorization Document. The officer asked me where I was going. Me, to Denver, 
Officer, why are you going there? I live there. How long were you in El Paso? I actually started to count the days. If I arrived on Friday night, and today is Thursday night, does that count as a full day? The officer wasn't really interested in my answer. He just wanted a reason to search the trunk of my car. I felt that I had no choice. I said, yes. I pressed the button on my 2004 Cavalier to open the trunk. It being a junker with 200,000 miles, the trunk door opens, but it doesn't pop up. It has to be lifted up every time. Opening it with a key is quite the puzzle. A really old car. The officer asked again, please open the trunk. It is open. You just have to lift it. I imagined the officer thinking, oh, this is too much trouble. Sir, get out of the car. We're going to use the search dogs. I got out and waited there in the open. It was pitch black, except the areas surrounded by the floodlights. It was also dead silent. I could see where the light ended and where the void began. Although I couldn't see anything in the dark, I knew there were hidden shrubs, sand, critters, and immigration. I waited under the watchful eye and close surveillance of five officers, <laughs> as if I was capable of beating them up and making a dramatic escape. I waited in a resting stance, slightly bent knees, hands on my waist, relaxed elbows, steady breathing, and looking at them without looking at them. Otherwise, I could learn how many immigration officers it takes to screw a Mexican. The officer with the search dog asked me out loud, does the passenger door open? Yes, you just have to unlock it from the inside. Cavalier 2004, manual lock, rolling windows, busted dashboard, $1,500. The officer told me that I could get going. He then asked, your trunk closes, right? Yeah. After that experience, I always wonder as I approach a checkpoint if they're going to search my car. Sometimes they just take my ID and that's it. Other times they don't even stop anyone and I keep on going. Officer one, are we going to stop anyone today, dude? Officer two, nah, I just really don't feel like it. Last year, after going to El Paso, I decided to visit White Sands National Monument. I made a right turn in Las Cruces and drove until I reached the checkpoint. I always have my ID ready and I, I gave it to the officer. Officer, where are you coming from? Me, from El Paso. Where are you going? To the monument. Why are you going there? to see the monument. Can I search your car? When she asked to search my car, I remembered a conversation that I had with Victor Galvan, who leads immigrant rights trainings. I told him about my previous experience. He asked me why I let them search my car. Uh, I don't know. He told me, to exercise my rights the next time I pass through a checkpoint. <laughs>
So in response to the officer's question, I said no. The officer took a step back and went to talk to her supervisor. I usually don't look at them if I'm not talking to them since I don't want to look mean at them. The officer came back and asked me if they could search my trunk. Is it truly necessary? Just answer the question, sir. No. The officer went back to talk with her supervisor. I assume they did not really expect that kind of response. I imagined their conversation. Officer, he said no to searching the car. What do I do now? It's not supposed to be this way, supervisor. Okay, what if you ask him again and see if he flinches this time? Sir, I asked him again and he said no again. Well, I, um, we can impound his car and search it later. A cavalier. We have standards here. Let him go. I was permitted to move on. And in a few miles, I reached the monument. Once I got to the monument, I went to their checkpoint. The attendant said, Welcome to White Sands National Monument. Would you like a day pass or a season pass? I'll take the day pass. Thank you. Here is a map and your car sticker. Enjoy your stay. When I'm at a CBP checkpoint, I always figure that they will stop me, search me, and shake me up a bit. I've not heard of any DACA recipient being arrested or beaten at a checkpoint, which doesn't mean that it hasn't happened and that I won't be the one it happens to. But if the agents think either I or my car look suspicious, that could be it for me, whether I'm guilty or not. Even spending a single day in detention could mean losing my DACA status, and that would be a disaster. But that day, near Las Cruces, 50 miles from the Mexican border, I was stopped at a checkpoint, and I exercised my rights. And my rights, as written in the Constitution, were respected. For many Americans, the Constitution is something they might take for granted. But that day, when my rights were respected and the Bill of Rights was honored, I experienced the most beautiful national monument America has ever created. That's for you, Irving. Thank you. Wow. Beautiful, John. What was it like to read Irving's story directly to him? I just loved it. It's just such a wonderful, honest piece of writing. And what I love about it is it's so humorous. Whenever something that's that intense is recalled after the fact, a long time after the fact, by which time you've sort of come to internalize it, accept it, adapt to it as a part of your history, it becomes very kind of ordinary and prosaic. And the difference between the intensity of what happened and how kind of straightforward and simple it is in the retelling is to me what makes it so moving.
And that's how it struck me reading it. John, what moment in Irving's story most impacted you while reading it? There is a sentence I was permitted to move on. To me, those five or six words are overwhelming because you just feel the relief. And everyone can connect with that. Everyone knows what it's like to realize, I'm going to be okay. I I just thought it was incredibly beautiful. And the timing of it, you just, I don't know whether you consider yourself a writer or not, but that's just great writing. Thank you. Sometimes uh, I wonder if maybe I chose the wrong career. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, you have to (laughs) promise me that you'll keep writing. Yes. Because this is just beautiful. And I say that as as an actor who knows good material when he sees it. (laughs) You know, when Kirsten asked me to do this, told me about you, told me the story, and sent me the video of you, I hesitated. I thought nobody should tell Irving's story except Irving. But I wanted to help out Kirsten and the Modus Theater Project because it seems to me very, very important. And I also thought, well, maybe this is just exactly what I should do because the whole challenge here is to get people to walk in the shoes of immigrants and get some connection with what they have to go through. So actually, maybe it's a very theatrical and powerful thing to do. Maybe Kirsten had a brilliant idea here. The more different I am from you, the more it highlights the intensity of your experience. We have all had the experience of worrying about being in trouble. But I have never had to live through the experience of going through one of those checkpoints. And you talk about it with such humor and irony, as if it was an amusing thing that happened to you. But it's so clear there was nothing amusing about it when it was happening. In its way, it helped me experience what you experienced. And that's exactly what all of us have to do and concentrate on. We're in a moment of crisis, a crisis of empathy in this country. And it seems to me that the whole thrust of this project is to address that crisis. But I think it's a wonderful thing to partner you and me and to make my reading of your story a companion piece to yours. It's my way of walking in your shoes. Thank you. Irving, what was it like to have John Lithgow read you your own story? It was as intense as the heat was when I went to the National Monument. I could just feel all the the energy and radiation just like, like if I was there again. Well, I choose to take that as a compliment. (laughs) Before we end, I'm going to ask you both to take a few breaths and just see if there are any last words you would want to say. Yeah, I got something. Mm-hmm. Once again, this year I went to El Paso. I have heard from people that the checkpoints were closed, and I went there to see it myself, and they were closed. And then I went again later, and they were still closed. So it was it all for nothing? Like, if it's so important that they have to stop everybody to see if they're dangerous or not, and then they just close it for most of the year, like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know what to expect coming here this morning. It was a wonderful experience to sit here 
five feet from you and read it out loud to you as a way of telling you how much it means to me. I mean, I've been following the crisis at the border for the last two or three years as it's become more and more of a hot button issue in our country and in our society and in our politics. But in all this time, I haven't had the chance to speak to anyone who is affected by it at all. I've been so alarmed by what's going on, but this is the most connected I've felt to what's going on, and I'm very grateful for that. I admire your courage. Thank you. It's wonderful to act in something where you really feel you're helping to change people's minds or widen their consciousness and change the world, even if it's in a little tiny way. There's a rainbow of colors in the old USA. No one's gonna whitewash those colors away. Now I know some might tell me that there's not room for all, and they should just go. To the places they fall Where their lives slide They're broken There's no chance left at all And the leaders have spoken On that side of the wall There's a rain This I can tell you We the people are strong And we know that our brothers And our sisters in song
that was rock and roll legend Neil Young playing his song Rainbow of Colors in honor of Irving's story. You can watch a video of Irving reading his own story on our webpage, shoeboxstories.org, or hear him read it to John Lithgow on our companion podcast, Modus Monologues and America series. We hope you will share Irving's story with your friends and family so everyone knows the people whose lives are at stake in U.S. immigration policy. Next month on the Shoebox Stories and America series, hear the lead anchor and executive producer of Latino USA, Maria Inojosa, read the story of Tanya Chaires. We're all saying y'all have been sleeping while we've become dehumanized. Thank you to John Lithgow, Irving Reza, Neil Young, and all of you listening who are willing to stand in the shoes of someone with a different experience than your own and see the world for a moment through their eyes. Please take good care of yourselves, those you hold dear, and your neighbors, both those near and far. So take a moment to refrain from all the judgment and the pain and know my story for a while. We are grateful for the Shoebox Stories creative team, including Carlos Heredia theme song, Anthony Salvo violin underscore, Alejandro Fuentes Mena Vocals, Robert Johnson Vocals, the podcast content editor, Modus Artistic Director, Kirsten Wilson, technical editors, Sam Glover and Douglas Reed, the Modus Theater Production Team, Rita Valent Quinn, Michelle Mon, and Chiara Chavez, and Modus Undocumentologists, Victor Galvan, Tania Chaires, Redesel Salvidres Rodriguez, Laura Peniche, Chiara Chavez, Juan Juarez, Irving Reza, Cristian Solano Córdoba, Armando Peniche, and Alejandro Fuentes Mena.